This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is Ringgit and Sense. The Employees Provident Fund EPF has officially launched the Belan Jawan Ku Expenditure Guide for Malaysians along with a mobile application. Both items were rolled out in the hopes to help Malaysians budget for providing minimum monthly expenditure estimates based on household types. With that, our show will be looking at the estimates they provide for singles, married couples, single parents, and finally seniors. Are these figures realistic to cover the necessities while leaving some aside for discretionary expenses, investments, and even for some joy in life? To help us start this series, we start with a married couple, or maybe in this case, soon to be married. Helping us is our very own Roshan Kanesan, who is not only a presenter on Enterprise, but a CFP professional and, of course, a former financial planner. Welcome to the show, Roshan. You have to give your own advice after telling us whether this figure works. So, <laughs> let's start with the monthly budget estimates for a married couple provided by EPF. So, it's 4,630 ringgit with children, 5,980 ringgit with one child, and then it goes up to 6,890 for two children. Now, I think we all know financial planning is the way to go. But realistically, if you're a young person, you're getting married soon, you don't have that much real uh, working experience. Um, these figures, do you think it's enough to, to live on? I mean, what would your advice be for someone just starting out in this world looking at these numbers? Yeah, Shanning, I think uh, one of the key things you said earlier was the minimum, right? This is the EPF's minimum recommendation. Now, um, now my voice has been missing from Ringing Sense for a few years now. I left Ringing Sense uh, BFM to go and join Ring it Plus, which had a digital financial planning product at the point. Uh, so it spoke to a lot of different customers and clients at that point. And you will see different kind of income streams and different kind of costing. Now, I will be straight up here. I'm sure EPF has its reasons for doing this. And this is meant to be a guide. Uh, but a lot of these numbers are really the bare minimum. Lah. You know, you need to be very economical. It's not really any, you're not living on the, there's, not much room for discretionary life. Everything needs to be optimized. Um, and this is tough, uh, especially if you're living in an urban center. Yeah, because the figures I quoted are Klang Valley, where mm. I'm sure the cost of living is much higher than the average uh, town. Yeah, so let's say you're a car owner, right? So I have a beza. I have a seven-year loan on my beza. That's about 600 ringgit a month. And I paid the minimum deposit. So if it says here, car owner single, 2,600 ringgit. So that means I have 2,000 for the rest of my expenses. Rental here, even if you're renting a room, maybe between 500 or 1,000 ringgit, now you're left with another 1,000 ringgit. That's for everything else, including your social. So if you want to be able to live a life, I'm not sure how much of a life you'll be able to live there. Uh, and also the kind of food here, right? So mm. it's like you're going to be, you know, very carb-heavy kind of food. But again, this is the minimum threshold here. This is the bare minimum for your ability to live in an urban center. Yeah, so let's dig a little bit deeper in terms of the recommendations and the individual amounts. And I picked out some which are worth were interesting to me. And this is, of course, I think we will choose the soon-to-be-married couple but no kids, which, are, which applies to you, right? Yeah. So they are only recommending 200 ringgit for social participation, which I think I'm going to assume means meeting friends and family for makan. 200 ringgit in Klang Valley. Yeah, this includes birthdays, anniversaries, invitations to weddings. Um, I mean, this is the bare minimum, like shouting. Yeah. 200 ringgit. So be prepared to turn your friends down or, or really meet somewhere simple and... Cheap. Yeah, I mean, th I will I will relate this back to maybe a few years ago when I first started my career. That was like, we only went to Mamak's, right? Yes. That was the only, like, okay, we go for Lima Panas and we were very 
cost conscious around these kind of things. It was, so the mama shop hated you, but never yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe two drinks, you know. Um, but a few years later, five, six years later onwards, now there's more discretionary income to spend on these kind of things. We are not as cost conscious. Uh, and this is, again, my particular circle of friends, which may be, again, a bit more privileged around us. Um, but when you start off, you know, you have to, it all comes down to this. Like, you have to look at what income you get. Mm. And then you've got to partition that in terms of what makes sense for you. Take out your fixed costs first. Mm. That's your do or die, you have to pay those things. Your car loan, that's 600 ringgit or 400 ringgit, you have to pay that by hook or by crook. And then your rent. And then your rent. rent. Exactly. So then you have to take that out. Then you make do with what you have left after that. Now, one of the things that I used to tell my clients um, was, don't worry if you cannot save just yet, right? Don't make, I had clients who were for, so focused on saving, right? At this, on top of their EPF, that they were, they were skimping on food, you know, to, they were like, oh no, I need to save 500 ringgit a month. So I will, the only place where I can, if there's real variable cost here is food. But then, Roshan, the mantra is like, you know, from the minute you start work, you should start saving like yeah. three months of your salary, put it aside for that rainy day if you lose your job. So how do we balance that at the end of the day? And that is the, actually the most important question to ask, especially between the ages of 20 and 30, where you're still building your career, where you're still starting out. Um, my f- you want to build at least first thousand ringgit. Okay. Th- first thousand ringgit, put it aside because that will save you from big things. Let's say you get a fine. Let's say you get uh, a car repair. Now, this stops you from going to credit card debt. So that's first first thing. And then after that, you start partitioning a little bit more towards building that three-month buffer. It's a slow, steady thing. It's not something you do overnight. Although it can be very anxiety-inducing not to have that mm. buffer fund, it takes time to build that. But do you think you should have a goal so you you know so yes. that it doesn't it doesn't just something that you think will happen but then never happens. So you tell yourself, okay, I'm I'm now in July. It will happen by December. Definitely. What you know, is that how you have like achievable goals? Mm-hmm. And the key word there is achievable, Johnny, because sometimes people have very unachievable goals. I will I will fill my emergency buffer fund by this year. That one is a recipe for disaster. And then when that first disaster happens, your you know your motivation will not come back. You'll be like, oh, you know what, money is not for me. Lah. I, you know, I'm not good at this. I'm just going to live month to month. Uh, having that goal that's realistic and that comes back down to measurement. Lah. You've got to open up, take out a piece of paper, take out a spreadsheet, whatever works for you and at least write down what you expect. Okay, I expect my money to be here. This is how much I expect to make. This is how much I expect to spend. Realistically speaking, I can take 100 ringgit aside for the first few months and then start the habit first and then build it from there long term. Okay, because one thing interesting about this Belanja one cool advice is that there is they tell you to set aside some personal savings so for the for the couple that is not married ah uh, sorry that is married but with no children they ask you to set 400 ringgit aside I suppose that's part of building the emergency buffer mm. but at what point then should you start thinking of investments and then even insurance which comes first because you saving is just one aspect I always imagine it as like the Maslow hierarchy of financial needs yeah. right Yep. Not just needs, but financial needs. So what comes? Savings first, then insurance, investment. How do you work your way to all of that? Um, savings and insurance first, right? Insurance has to be one of the first things you get. And you don't have to go get an expensive policy. You need something that's going to protect yourself. So um, a lot of direct uh, to consumer financial uh, insurance brands have come about. I mean, there's one that our founder has founded, right? Fire Life which I used to speak to a lot of my non-Muslim clients about. Mm. Uh, for Muslim clients who are more particular, they want takaful 
FWD.com used to have also like so shop up. around. Shop around. Go and shop around and compare your prices because it's very important to have some layer of protection. So the first three things I used to tell clients before you do anything else, before you worry about your retirement planning, all of that, first three things. Number one, are you cash flow positive or not mm. on an annual basis? Because some months you may be negative. That's fine. Annually, are you more or less cash flow positive? So look at the big picture. Bigger picture. Number two, are you protected on a basic level? Do you have at least medical coverage? Because these are the things that will put you in debt if something happens. Because mm. what happens? You go to the credit card or you have to borrow money from someone else. Um, and the third one is then you start building your savings habit. Uh, so insurance, there are a lot of uh, no-frills insurance policies out there. And the thing about medical insurance is you want to get it early while you're young and healthy. Yes. Because once you're sick, it's either you either you can't get it or it's going to be very expensive to do so. And you wait too old because it increases with age, right, the payments? Correct. And you want to build your history as well with the insurance company so that they see like when you want to have another policy later on, mm -hmm. you will be like, okay, you know, I have more data to underwrite you. That's really, really important. Okay. And then, what, what, then at what point should you look at investments and what should be maybe the first investment that you should consider the first vehicle that you even want to, you know, look at, like adding to your portfolio? So the first thing here is um, most of us, when we start working, we're already investing through EPF, right? So already... But you can't rely on that. You shouldn't, yes. right? No, you cannot rely on EPF being the only one. But you have some money being put aside there. Usually what I've seen is around the age of 30, 30, yeah, around 30 years old, um, you start having some discretionary income to be able to invest in other places. Now, obviously, the, the what we always hear is invest as early as you can. Uh, diversify. Diversify. You know, you want compounding. When you start at 20, it'd be much better off. Yes. Theoretically speaking, you want to start when the minute you start making money and let that compound over the longer term. But a 10% return on 10,000 ringgit is still 1,000 ringgit, right? Yes. So this, you need to first build your strong base and then once you're 30, you've got discretionary income, start putting... Uh, money to work elsewhere. Now, where to start? Yes. Um, this is all down to your risk tolerance, right? Yeah, it really, you have to sit down and be honest with yourself. Uh, a lot of people have now, firsthand, have gotten a taste for what losses are over the last one year. Um, pick a platform that works for you. If you don't care, then you want to look at one of the robos out there, maybe Unitrust Fund. Unitrust Funds are tricky. You have to be, you have to look at, there are so many out there, you need to be able to pick the right one. And there are fees, right? So depending how you're buying it, if you're let's say you're buying it through a platform, you're still paying one and a half, two percent a year on that, versus the robos, which are less than one percent fees a year. All of them have some form of management, so be very comfortable with how they're doing it. Ultimately, it's the long long run love for most of this because they are they are relatively diversified. Mm. The thing I would say about Unitrust funds is um, you have to watch out for what they're investing in because you know if you're feel 40, 50 years old, you really probably shouldn't be putting 80% of your money into a China fund, for example, where it's more risky. Yeah. Maybe when you're younger, you can do that. But again, risk tolerance. Are you looking, can you handle, let's say if your money, if your funds drop by 30%, can you sleep at night or not? Mm. So, and the point is, you might have one kind of, uh, you might have one set of investment needs or your risk appetite might be a, of a certain level when you're just married. and But that may adjust as you as your family grows, as you get Correct. older, right? Your risk tolerance is usually more aggressive when you're younger. Um, and you have a solid financial base, and then it gets more conservative over time. Um, now, in terms of the vehicles, Yannick, so I mentioned uh, some of the robos out there, uh, just make sure that you're using one of the more diversified platforms as opposed to something that is very niche, right? So like, oh, this is a high-tech kind of platform. You cannot be banking on that to make your returns longer term. Um, other than that, 
you know, there are ETFs out there that are very broad-based. You can go and buy a single ETF, whether it's a S&P 500 fund or even a global fund, right? Uh, has all the companies in the world, uh, Vanguard, I think it's called Vanguard Total. Uh, again, not a recommendation to buy anything in particular. You have Just to examples. do your examples. You have to do your own research, but you have to find something that works for you. What I will definitely not recommend, though, is that your first investment shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to buy this stock. I should buy stocks, right? Because growth is good there. Or crypto. Or crypto. Don't buy any individual single asset class if it's your first investment and if you're not familiar because those things are volatile and you need to keep tabs on them. Yeah, you need to uh, be always... Actively involved. Uh, yeah, and that's not an easy task, right? On Ringgit says this morning is Roshan Kandesan, our very own presenter on Enterprise and Certified Financial Planner. After the break, is career planning actually the best advice that you can give to a young married couple? BFM 89.9. Stay tuned for Ringgit and Sense, brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Ringgit and Sense. In the semi-hot seat <laughs> is Roshan Kandesan, our very own enterprise presenter, who also happens to be a CFP professional and, of course, a former financial planner. Before the break, can a young couple with no kids really live on 4,630 ringgit in the Klang Valley. And even then, how can they plan to maximise their household income? Now, Roshan, let's talk about this married couple and mm. like like some specifics. Let's help them because, you know, dating couples, usually, you know, you handle your own finances. I handle my own finances. But I think it's a different story, right, when you decide to get married. So how do you talk about joint finances and planning budgets and expenses together. I mean, what are the key things to bear in mind? First things, you got to get a sense for how your partner thinks. About money? Or? About money. Because some people have baggage. Uh, no, sorry, not some people. Everyone has baggage I one agree. way or another. Yes. So, and we have our own pre-natural disposition. Exactly. We have our own predispositions, our own attitudes towards money. If anyone is a reader, I highly recommend Morgan Housel's book called The Psychology of Money. It will greatly help you in your relationships. Uh, when dealing with money, even with your family. Mm. Now, if someone has grown up in a household where the parents went into bankruptcy, this partner is not going to want to, or is going to have a very negative attitude towards taking on debt. Same situation if the parents had a problem with the stock market. You're going to have the same situation there. First conversation shouldn't be about, oh, we need to save money. We need to do this. Oh, It needs to be, how do you think about money? Also, oh, it's an, a more open conversation. Yeah. So this is, again, the way I approached it and the way I talk, used to talk to clients about it is get a feel for how your partner thinks because it's, there's one person who's more proactive than the other. In those case, cases, you have to, it has to be a soft touch approach because you don't want to scare them. Okay. And you don't want to get into some heated, heated argument and lose focus, right? You don't want the first conversation to be a bad one and then suddenly... It's just bad feelings whenever money is talked about. Right? Never talked about again. So think about compounding. So you want, to comp you want to think about it in that way. Start off the conversation small and then build up from there. Um, so things like, you know, how do you think about savings? You know, how do you want to retire? Uh, these are the things that, you know, you're basically incepting some of the ideas there. But yeah, first thing is kind of getting a sense for how your partner thinks about money. Then you can start talking about um, how you want to budget certain things. Because uh, what I've seen is, some people are like... Yeah, like on this 4,630, which, yeah. which is what EPF recommends, this is a joint household income, right? Yeah. So, and it's very specific. I mean, do you think couples can actually come to some form of agreement? What I find funny, okay, here uh, from EPF is ad hoc and one-off um, expenses, 300 ringgit, and it's got a picture of a baju there, clothes. <laughs> and now, so, so in a household income, you're going to tell your wife, okay, this is all yours or all mine? You know, things like that. How does it work? 
Okay, yeah, that's tough. Um, this is variable from person to person. And ultimately, it comes down to... Um, okay, so this EP of Blanjuan is a guide. Blanjuan yeah. is a guide, right? Ultimately, personally, you have to tackle and, people and do it yourself. Because, you know, if your partner is someone who likes to buy clothes every so often, you know, and it brings joy to the situation... Um, being a dictator and shutting that down is going to end your marriage in the long term. Um, and you have to kind of tiptoe around that. And obviously, there needs to be, you need to be realistic, right? Okay. You need to make the budget work so at the end of the day. Let, let me be the woman that likes to buy the okay, clothes. Sure. Okay, Because that comes naturally to me. But then maybe the conversation would be, okay, dear, you need to say, what, why are you willing to give up if you want to keep buying your clothes? Yes. So that's the thing, right? So you 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 put there a balance there. So, all right, in order to keep this, we need to take something else. I'll get them involved in the conversation. Uh, and the other thing can also just be from a simple perspective. You take your incomes and be like, okay. Um, and how honest should you be, Roshan? My because opinion? Because I know some couples until today, they don't know how much their spouse makes. Yeah, so my opinion on this is you should be 100% transparent about that. Um, and, you know, you don't have to start off 100% transparent, <laughs> but you should definitely be that because the last thing you want... I like the caveat, maybe not 100% at the beginning, but eventually. Eventually, you know, every year you increase your transparency to kid, you know. Um, but at least, you know, being able to share your incomes, your expenses... Uh, or your asset basis. Now, asset basis is something you share later on, of course, mm. because that allows you to kind of think about, okay, mortgages. Mortgages. Um, how can we think about long-term future? Because think about retirement. Getting into debt together. Correct. That's a big thing as well because you need to have the collateral to back that and you need to have the incomes to back that. Um, so when we talk about the... So the one thing I, I will... I always encourage people to have some kind of discretionary fund um, because it will keep you sane it's really, really tough to be working all the time and working hard and then not being able to spend any money on yourself. So the way uh, I used to tell clients and the way I do it is you just keep, it's the envelope method, like the bucket mm. method, right? So let's say 100, 200 ringgit a month, you keep it aside and every so often you use that money and it's guilt-free spending, right? Okay, so it be a mini holiday or something. Mini holiday or even if it's like a treat, right? So you, you want to go to this nice restaurant. But again, it needs to be done within means. So, this is not a cookie-cutter situation for all people. And ultimately, the most important thing I can tell people that I need to tell, emphasize is you need to have your cash flow on a piece of paper or a spreadsheet so that you know. Only once you measure something can you manage it. Otherwise, you're really just shooting in the dark. And if you were planning as a couple for financial goals, mm -hmm. you know, like a target, how, how much of a conversation, at what point should this conversation take place? Because, you know, you could say when we're both 50, assuming that both of you are 30. Yeah, it's yeah. a 20-year goal, right? Is it important to have that talk? It is because um, this is where retirement, talking about retirement is really as a important couple, as right? a couple because what are your expectations for what your retirement looks like? And a simple way to do this is how much do you both collectively want to be spending on a monthly basis, not inflation adjusted just yet, so in today's money. So let's say, say oh, I want to be able to spend and think about it in the, in the sense that, you know, if you pay off your mortgage and you don't have to buy cars so often, your kids should be off and, and you don't have to be taking They've care of them. They've left the nest. They've left Finally. the nest. So you have to think about all those kind of factors in. So you take that number first. So let's say it's 5,000 ringgit a month. Then you go to an inflation calculator and together, so 5,000 each is 10,000 a month. Huh? Yeah. So then you use the inflation calculator and then you extrapolate it to 20, 30 years from now. Then you'll know how much you need. So that calculation is really important. Uh, and then you'll know whether it's realistic or not okay. because you can do the backward math. 
Okay, so, you know, we, a young couple might think, why do I need to have this conversation even mm. in my early days of the marriage? But I think it's important to have joint goals. Am I correct? That's why we're talking about joint it. Joint goals is important and also joint transparency because most of the time what we're seeing with divorce numbers is that a lot of it stems from financial issues. Um, if you're, if now traditionally what we used to see was that, you know, one partner would give up the, like, I don't want to handle it, you handle it, right? Mm. What this, what you've done here is you've given up your agency and your autonomy and now everything's on this one person. If you have no control over that, a lot of bad things can happen. And we we like to, we want to be positive, right? Yes. So yes, be positive. Expect the best, but prepare for the worst. Um, so having that, being engaged with your finances is essential, which is why I think it's personally important to go and uh, visit some of these, uh, the content that you've got from some of these uh, creators such as Suraya Zanuddin or Suyin, who are active in terms of telling people, go and pay attention to your money. Don't obsess over it. Yes. I used to have a big problem of obsessing over my balance sheet, my cash flow. Um, that in itself is a not not a healthy habit. So you need to find a Goldilocks zone there. Yeah, because then maybe you keep changing your mind and then changing um, your investments, which isn't positive in the long term, right? Correct. Let, don't allow time to have to work its magic. Yeah, the irony is that if you keep switching, you're giving up the compounding that comes with it over the longer term. And I, I get flagged for, not just me, uh, anyone who proposes proposes DC over the long term gets flagged for, oh, but you're basically like, you're taking losses for some time. But that's life. Yeah. Look at any long-term trend of any market. You're going to go through bad times. There. That's where you value add to your portfolio. And then in the longer term, yeah, longer term, especially if it's appropriately diversified, you will come back up into the green and build your wealth over the longer term. You're banking on global GDP growth, not a particular thing there. If that isn't the case, then we all have much bigger problems to deal with. Yeah. Okay. So at the, but my thing is at the end of the day, uh, for a young couple, and the advice to give to both of them is career planning the most important tip you can actually give someone. Because let's say you really are earning four thousand six hundred and thirty ringgit as a couple, and the Belanja one who only leaves you with four hundred ringgit for savings. That's the advice. Nothing for investments, but you know, can you blame this couple for not setting anything aside when they're just getting by? So if your income is poor, it's not because you don't want to invest, you just don't have the means to. And then what is your choice? Your choice is to probably raise your income, right? So how do you do that? I mean, is it changing jobs, which of course we, you know, we will talk about in a minute. <laughs> Find side hustles to ex- to earn that extra income. I mean, how much how much harder can you work? Yeah, this is the this is another fine balance, and it's going to sound like a cop out answer, lah, right? So I'm sorry for that in advance. But essentially, you have to identify what your skill sets are, um, and be very honest about it. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I got when I was younger, so when I was in university that time, was uh, Roshan. In order to make your income uh, over the longer term, you have to at least move jobs, jobs two, three times. I didn't understand what that meant. I now understand what that means because when you move you should be at least looking for a 30% increment when you go, uh, depending on the job market, of course, and mm-hmm. the areas that you're looking at. But that's the kind of benchmark we're looking at. I had friends who got 40, 50% increments when they moved jobs. Some who got 20% increments. So it's an average number we're talking yeah. about here. But you're not going to get that kind of increment in your one job over the long for time. For your lifetime. For your lifetime. So the, you need to move because in the reverse situation here is the company is compensating you for leaving a comfortable space and having to ex- experiment with a new place. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the best pieces of advice. And it also depends on your industry. If you're in an industry which is in a structural decline, that's really tough. Yes. Um, but you need to be able to make yourself stand out. So this is where, again, the cliched advice of investing in yourself can be very powerful. 
cliched, yes, but it has value in there. Um, developing skills. Um, and now I think one of the you don't want to Just, be replaced by AI. You want to be replaced by AI. It's a joke. We it's, a, it's something we joke about all the time. But it's just like really real now, it is. And just like how we talk, use English today as a medium of communication. Learning some element of coding or learning some element of digital savviness could be what's important. Could be the English of the future, for example. So being able to again, like investing, don't go to every hot trend out there. Mm. Find what your skill set is. What is it that makes you valuable at work, and then tap into that further. Um, it's important to have to be well-rounded, sure. But where you're going to really monetize your skill sets over the long term is when you focus on what you're good at and your and your spe- your specialties, basically. On that note, thank you for your time today on Ringgit and Sense. Was Roshan Kanesan? I'm Wong Shaoning, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia, your lifetime insurance and takaful partner. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.